0: We're going to be in Genesis, as it says right up there, and I'm going to start by reading Genesis 11.31 through 12.9. Bible? I guess we don't have Alex here passing out Bibles. Anybody? Are there Richard are there Bibles in, in, in on the bottom of the shelf of that? I think they're on the bench. Are they on the bench? We needed a couple here. It, right right here. And uh, somebody else raised their hand too. Right. Okay, I'm going to still read Genesis starting in 11. If you'd follow along. One day, Terah took his son Abram, and this is Abram, Abraham's name before it was changed, so took Abram, his daughter in law Sarah, Sarai his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. And go to the land that I will tell you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the Oak of Mori. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. And after that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. And then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. Let's pray. Father, uh, I think most of us have probably heard of this man Abraham and a lot of us know, know a lot about his life. He's called the father of faith. And Father, I pray that as we just do this brief glimpse of his life, that you would also just stir in our hearts uh, through your Holy Spirit to make us increasingly people of faith um, like Abram was. So, Father, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cindy and I... That is my wife, for those of you that don't know. Um, spent the whole day yesterday in Paulsbo, representing the coffee oasis from 8 in the morning till 7 last night. At um, first, a rotary function with the Paulsbo rotary. It was a, a yachting thing where people from with their yachts from all over the place, Canada and different places on the West Coast, came and... Um, they uh, wined and dined them, yes, that early in the morning. And, and, but it was a fundraiser for the Coffee Oasis, so um, they um, also hit them up for money. And I got to share a little bit about the Coffee Oasis. And one of the fun things about being in Paulsbo nowadays is after I stood up and shared about the Coffee Oasis, three others of the Rotary members stood up and pitched the Coffee Oasis. And um, so that was a fun time. And then immediately after um, was the uh, annual, fifth annual uh, Paulsbo Chamber of Commerce sponsored uh, music festival, Americana Music Festival. Um, So there was music all during the day, um, culminating with um, a band called Magic Carpet Ride. Any of you know who the Magic Carpet Ride are or who they who they their evolution what they what they started out to be? They were originally this is before uh, most of you here were born. Steppenwolf. Yeah, you knew that, Ben, right? <laughs> I was thinking like Aladdin. Aladdin. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> and so uh I I commented to Cindy uh, kind of, I think it talks a little bit about uh, who we are because there was a big event uh, that was sold out at Gateway Church in Paulsbo, 800 people to listen to George Winston Um, and there Cindy and I were listening to Steppenwolf but (laughs) (laughs) anyway it was a great it was a great time and it was also fun because it was the music festival was also a sponsor, sponsored by the chamber as a fundraiser for the Coffee Oasis. So I also shared briefly at that time, and about every hour for the whole day, they gave a huge plug for the Coffee Oasis, sent around buckets, and really tried to raise funds also for the Paulsville Coffee Oasis. So it was a fun time just seeing how excited again the, the North End is about us uh, coming up there very soon. Um, But it also, in the midst of all that, ended up for me to be a very thought-provoking and soul-searching day in terms of the challenge it can be to represent not not just the coffee oasis, but Jesus in the world. Uh, And four examples that kind of all bombarded me yesterday as we were there, um, when I was speaking with the sponsors of the, the music festival, the Chamber of Commerce people, they were, real, they were thrilled to share with, with Cindy and I that all of the bands, including um, the Magic Carpet Ride, had donated their performance because it was a fundraiser for us. And, in fact, the Magic Carpet Ride went on our website to check us out and said, yes, they would um, donate, um, which, which, was, which was wonderful. Uh, but then almost as an afterthought, they shared that one band that they had intended to play yesterday, uh, whom they didn't mention to me, who they were, and I was glad for that, that they asked to perform refused to perform yesterday, because it was a fundraiser for the Coffee Oasis. And the reason? They don't like our coffee. No, I'm kidding. Um, Because we're a faith-based organization. And so they refused. And that was hard. Because it followed on the heels of hearing just two days before Um, an email I received from just a wonderful supporter of us out in the community um, who had had a conversation with a community activist who was also concerned and opposed to supporting us as the Coffee Oasis because we're a faith-based organization. So as I was sitting mulling this over, and um, listening to the music, I, I, at, at a table at Waterfront Park, I, I looked up, and at the table next to me, a young man had just sat down, who I've known for years, and we've, um, as the Coffee Oasis, many of us have have served and supported and encouraged this young man, he one of my earliest rec- rec- recollections of him, he was a young man involved in gangs. He was actually responsible for being a part of stomping someone to death. Um, he's had a hard life, and uh, but very appreciative of just how we as, as a group of people have enveloped him. And, and we were talking, and this is kind of how the end of the conversation went, he, he had just got a job at J.J.'s Fish House right there by the Waterfront Park, and so he was pretty excited. And As we were kind of coming to the end of our conversation, he had to go to back to work. He said, let me know if there's anything I can do for you guys. And my response was, you know, one of the biggest encouragements, and I tell young people this all the time. I said, you know, one of the, the biggest encouragements that you can be to me and, and, and other young people be- people are to me is when after you you've left is it's coming back (laughs) and just letting us know how you're doing and and how your life is changing and how you're progressing i said that's that's the biggest encouragement because that's why we exist to see you know change happen in your life and it was interesting as soon as i said that he he like leaned forward and almost in a whisper, he said, like he didn't, like he was afraid somebody else was going to hear. He leaned forward and in a whisper he said, that's because you're real Christians. And and it kind of, I mean, after what I just heard and, and what he just said, and, and he went on to say, he said, he said. Went on to talk about how so many Christians had heard him and turned him off over the years, and and yet, even though he considers himself, as he repeated yesterday, a Buddhist, how much he is drawn to us because he considers us real Christians. Finally, while I was at the music festivals, and this is a full day, you know. I was just not listening to music. If you thought I was just goofing around, okay, I was thinking. <laughs> While I was at this festival, I received some emails. Um, it's one of the bad things about having a smartphone. you know you, you get... <laughs> So I received, received some emails that made my heart just heavy, actually just shattered my day. Um, the emails related and, and, and to some brothers and sisters in Christ at another area of the country, this isn't here, in case you're going to try and think of it, okay, who, beginning in the past with a church split, now there's just hostility and and animosity between these brothers and sisters in Christ, resulting in what's, unless something happens, is going to result in a huge fallout and hindrance the ministry of the gospel, to to what Jesus would do in our world, and I tell you, it just wrenched me and, and grieved me. All of this to say, um, you're putting all those together. You know, we live in a in a hurting world that needs, desperately needs to see <laughs> the real Jesus. <laughs> The Jesus, and the only one who can really heal and deliver and free and, and save and forgive and give hope to. Um, only he can do that. I, I'm convinced of that. But it's not going to be easy. <laughs> and there are going to be challenges both outside from those who look and say, man, I don't want anything to do with those people because they call themselves Christians. And it's going to come from within as, you know, the challenges. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, you're all honorary people, right? Okay, I, I'm not, I mean, we're just people. And so we have conflicts and we have disagreements. And and the enemy is so eager is going to come in and try and stir those up. And so people don't get along and they, and they split and they divide. And what ends up happening is the glorious good news of Jesus just doesn't go out then to that broken, hurting world that needs to hear it. And that world looks, and they said, man, I don't want anything to do with those people. And so as we come into looking at Genesis this morning, my question is, how is this going to happen in the midst of this broken world where it's such a challenge within and without, how is it going to happen representing Jesus as he needs to be represented Hold on to that. And I want to talk just a little bit more about biographies here. How many of you love a good biography? Good. Okay, you can be my friends. <laughs> I love biographies. I love reading them, and I love, I love watching biographical movies. Um, a biography of a missionary whom God has used, you know, to impact uh, an unreached people group. Somewhere in the world, I love reading that. I just finished reading a biography and passed it on to Cindy. Just, a, just an impactful biography of of a young couple, a family that God used in Nepal to reach an unreached people group, and in the hardest of circumstances. It, um, but it could be a biography or, or, or a movie of a teacher. I, I mean, some of us have probably watched the movies of uh, teachers who have transformed whole classrooms of social you know social rejects. I mean, I love reading or watching that. Or of a coach who has produced a championship team out of a bunch of losers. We've probably all seen those movies. Or an athlete, you know, has broken world records or a general who has brought about great military conquests or an entrepreneur who has built a thriving company. They're inspirational. Um, And they can even be motivating I think for most of us, they're motivating for a day or two, you know, Um, and then we forget about it. Um, But kind of remembering what I started talking about, I think as we move on here, they can also be detrimental and this is why. Because as we read biographies like that or we watch a biographical movie, I think oftentimes what we can see, whether or not it was the intention, is the end result, which is amazing, as opposed to the agonizing process of getting there. And so what we can end up with is thinking that these people are either superheroes I mean, they are like something special that none of us could become like, right? <laughs> or it's just simple to become that kind of person. It's like magical. Like, all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, you just transform things and people and just automatically. You know, it might be, we're getting to Abraham here, Okay. I think it might be how some of you might view Abraham, or Moses, or David, or Joshua. um, You know, if you started in Genesis 22 with the life of Abraham, uh, where God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, get up, sacrifice your son Isaac, your promised son Isaac, as an offering to me. And Abraham, he gets up. We don't hear any squawking. We don't hear any complaining. He just gets up. He gets his son. They go. He wraps him up. He puts him on the altar. He pulls out his knife. And we look at that and we say, good grief. Not only does it not make sense to us, like how could God call him to do that, but how could Abraham do that without even squawking? or? Co- I mean, he must be some like, spiritual stud, right? And so it's easy for us to get this idea. It's almost like a, like a Paul. We look at a Paul and we say, man, he's just special because you didn't read the part where he got shipped away to Arabia for 12 years by God, you know, because he was making such a mess of things. Or Moses, who had to spend 40 years in the wilderness to get his act together before God could use him. I've had people tell me, uh, and maybe they've said it to you, you know, Dave, man, you're such a good person. Uh, you know, it's just, I could never do what you do. Um, my, my initial response to that is, man, you wouldn't know me, you wouldn't want to have known me before my wife got a hold of me, you know, and. but the biggest answer is you wouldn't want to know me apart from the grace of God. And so as we come to Genesis and we come to Abraham's life, this is what I want us to simply get this morning as we put all this together and as we look at his life. I want us to see what God's plan is for changing our really messed up world. Okay? and the answer that we're going to see here in Genesis and we see repeatedly throughout the Bible and repeatedly throughout history and, and i want us to get this because i want us to be people who want to change our world and if we have the idea that you got to be some kind of you know naturally you know special person then it's going to be well that's not me you know that's going to be somebody else But if you really see the people that God uses and how he uses them and what he does in them to change the world, then that means any of us can do that. And it's what he did in Abraham's life. God's plan for changing the world is, and this is the crux of it in case you want to fall asleep pretty soon. Don't do it. God's plan for changing the world is imperfect people using imperfect. Perfect people, like you and me here, okay. Who are in the process of learning to trust Jesus? That's it. God's plan for changing Bremerton or Paulsboro, Port Orchard, Kitsap County, or, or wherever God might take you, in your neighborhood, in your school, at your job, God's plan for using you is using you as a person who understands you're an imperfect person, that God is in the process of refining and teaching to trust Him, totally trust Him, so that through you God can change the world. So let's look at Abraham quickly here. There's going to be three things. Just if, if the first one is just kind of a quick review. It's God's concern for the world, and and I just want to summarize because today is the ninth in in kind of this brief Genesis um, one uh, chapters one through twelve that we're going through. Today is the last sermon, um, and as we started in Genesis chapter one and we we come to today, what we see is. After God had created us, humanity, in his image, and in his likeness, to have intimacy of relationship with him, Adam and Eve Im- immediately listen to the devil and are separated from God, Genesis chapter 3. Immediately. They doubt God. They think, yeah, God, God's keeping something from us. And they rebel against him and they're separated from God, Genesis 3. Genesis 4, Cain murders his brother. Genesis chapter 6, God looks out over all the earth that he's just so recently created. And this is what it says in Genesis 6. It says he sees that everything that people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's Genesis 6. And so what does God do? In in 6, 7, and 8, God wipes out humanity through a flood because it's so consistently and totally evil. We come to the end of the flood at the end of Genesis chapter eight when the f- God has, has removed the water. Genesis chapter nine, he's gonna promise that he'll never flood the world again. But in Genesis eight, the end of it, this is how God views humanity. Again, after the flood, after punishing, after cleansing, God looks at humanity and he sees that everything that people think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. That's still the way it is. It's still the way it is. And then in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, which Daniel talked about last week, where God confuses humanity's language and scatters them over the face of the earth because they conspire to be apart from God something in and of themselves to make fame for themselves apart from God. And to summarize, the world's a messed up place. It was then and it is today. So what is God's plan? What is God's plan? Let's go to Genesis 12. And in verse one, notice what it it, God's plan is a man. And it's what God's plan always is, a man or a woman whom God will work through and change and transform into a person that totally trusts him to change their world, whatever that is. So let's look at God's call just briefly. Notice God... It says, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. So God says, number one, what was God ask Abraham to do? Leave everything. That's huge. Number two, I'm going to, I want you to go to an unknown land. I'm going to show, you don't even know where it is. So God calls him to leave everything and go to an unknown land. I mean, this is huge. But if he does, God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who treat you with contempt. And this is the crux right here. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. How is that possible? How through Abraham (laughs) could everybody in the whole world be blessed? How could everyone, everyone in the whole world be blessed through Abraham? And the answer is on what that phrase means. Keep your finger in Genesis and turn with me to Galatians 3. And it tells us exactly what it means and what God was telling Abraham. And this is God's call to Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 6. In the same way, it says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as, a righteous, as righteous because of his faith. And this is actually a reference to, to Genesis chapter 15 that we're going to look at in just a little bit. It says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward... To this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith, God proclaimed this good news, the words gospel. God proclaimed the gospel, the good news to who? To Abraham. Long ago, when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And so when God called Abraham to go, to leave everything and go, and if he did, all the families of the earth would be blessed through him, God was calling Abraham to be in the line of the seed. (laughs) The one promised in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, right after Adam and Eve had sinned and their world had fallen apart, God said, the seed is who they were to look forward to, who would crush the head of the serpent, who would provide salvation and deliverance and hope again. And that's what God is telling Abraham, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him because the seed, Christ, would come through him, through who? whom the world would hope again so this is where we should be thinking man this guy is some kind of a spiritual stud right (laughs) it's like i mean god's calling him to leave everything i mean back then family was everything you don't, you didn't just take off you know like cindy and i did when we were young and took off to the philippines left our families behind you didn't do that back then Leave everything. Go to where you don't know where you're going. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And we're thinking, man, he was an amazing guy to do that, right? <laughs> well, let's check him out. We're going to just do this really quickly. I want, I want you to see the kind of guy that Abraham was. Look at 1131. Genesis 11.31, I want you to notice, you might not have noticed the wording when I read through it the first time. In Genesis 11.31, it says, One day Terah took his son Abram and moved away from Ur the Chaldeans, headed for the land of Canaan. You see that? Terah took Abram, they left the Ur Chaldeans, they headed for the land of Canaan, but where did they end up? Haran. That's why in 12:1 maybe you didn't notice the wording. It says, "The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you." The Lord had told Abram he had called Abram and said, "Leave and go, and I will do this." And what did Abraham do? He listened to his daddy. Instead of to God. And so he wasn't ready to really obey God. So his dad said, well, I'll go with you and, and, and we'll head out. But as they were on their way, his dad says, well, why don't we just stop in Haran for a little bit? Because there's family that lives there and we'll use it as a stopping place. And they used it as a stopping place for a long time. In fact, so much that they gathered all kinds of herds and flocks and servants. And and then in verse 4 it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. And so we come to 12.4 and we see that Abraham finally obeys. I think when Abraham took off, he was thinking, Man, this is going to be a great adventure, you know? I'm, I'm God's man. He's calling me and through me the seed's going to come and all the families are going to be blessed and who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, be, the, be God's man or woman until finally it started to sink in and I, man, I'm, I'm not going to be around family anymore. And he, so he listened to his dad. They ended up in Iran instead of listening to God. In chapter 12, verses 11 through 20, we're not going to read through it, but if you scan through it, not only was he a guy that listened to his dad instead of to God, in Genesis 12, 11 to 20, we see that he is an absolute jerk. <laughs> I mean, they arrive in Egypt and immediately he's worried that he's going to end up dead because his wife's so beautiful and the Pharaoh's going to say, who cares about him? Knock him off and I get his wife. And so he says, honey, would you do this for me? Would you say you're my sister? And you really are because we have the same dad, but we have different moms. And so, you know, you're not really my wife. You're kind of my sister. And This guy's a jerk. right? That's Abraham, man of faith. This is how he starts out. He's an absolute jerk. If you look at chapter 15, verse 1 says the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I will protect you and your reward will be great. This guy is afraid. And he's doubting. We look at verses 2 and 3 in chapter 15. And he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? You've promised that all the families on the earth are going to be blessed for me, but, but I don't have a child. And so we see this guy who's doubting, and he's struggling, and he's, and he's afraid, and he's unbelieving. We come to Genesis chapter 16, and finally, Sarai, his wife, unable to bear children, and she has this servant, and she says to Abraham, well, you know, God's not keeping up his into the deal like he said so we're going to have to figure something out here so I got an idea I know in the culture here that if I give you my servant you know it's like she's giving birth through me and so Abraham listened to his wife instead of trusting God and what God had promised and ends up causing all kinds of Problems throughout history. <laughs> we come to chapter 20. You thought maybe that he would have learned by now. In Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, we see that they, land, they end up in, in between Kadesh and Shur, and they're, they're in this kingdom called, um, under the reign of a guy called Abimelech, and what does he do? Abraham again Says, sweetie, just one more time. Just say you're my sister. This guy's a jerk. And he's fearful, and he's unbelieving, and he's doubting, and he's listening to his wife's advice. And I'm not saying listening, my wife usually has good advice. He's listening to his dad's advice, but he's, he should be listening to God's advice and trusting what God has said. This guy's a very imperfect man. You get that? That's just what I want us to see. (laughs) This man that God has called, God hasn't called because he's the man, but he's called him because he's an imperfect man that God wants to transform so that he will know what? That God is the man. You get that? That's really important. That he's in the process of learning to trust Jesus, to see that God is faithful, that God can do the impossible, that it's God fulfilling his promise to bring the seed, the hope of mankind. And so if we were to flip back really quickly, we see in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 4, that he eventually obeyed. I mean, as I read there in, in verses uh, 7 and 8 of chapter 12, as he's traveling This is a guy that really wants to know God. He's building altars. Four times in chapters 12 and 13, we see this guy as he travels building altars. And and these altars were just his way of acknowledging that it was God who was leading him. And that he was grateful for God's leading. And that he was aware and acknowledging that he was who he was. and, And he was where he was because of God. And so we come to 15 verse 6 turn there it's just it's such an important verse in Genesis fifteen six. as the Lord has as, as Abraham is struggling and God takes him outside in verse 5 and he shows him the stars and he says can you count them and he's no way you can't count billions of stars trillions of stars he says he says that's how many descendants you will have That's how many. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Everyone. That's your descendants. And in verse 6, what does Abraham do? It said he believed the Lord, and the Lord called him righteous. What does that mean? He's righteous. God says, you are now in right relationship with me because what he believed was about the seed. Galatians 3, 7 and 9. The gospel, the good news that God had proclaimed to him that that the seed who would come through his line would be the hope of humanity. And Abraham saw that and he believed that And that's what made him righteous. That's the only thing that can make us righteous. It's the only thing that can make any of us in right relationship with God. In in Acts 4, it says, verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, delivered, freed, healed, made new. And so that's when we come to Galatian I mean excuse me to Genesis 22 kind of what I referred to at the beginning we come to Genesis 22 and God calling Abraham he says Abraham grab your son the promised son through whom the seed would come through and sacrifice him Now it begins to make sense why Abraham would do that because not because Abraham was this man of amazing faith to start with but But he was a man who learned faith. He learned in the midst of struggle and doubt. He learned God's faithfulness. And he learned that God keeps his promises. And that what God says, God does. And so when God says, sacrifice your son. You know what Abraham was thinking? We don't have to guess what he was thinking. Because God tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 what he was thinking. And we're going to kind of wind down with this as Abraham is included in the people of faith, Hebrews eleven seventeen 17, it says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Even though God had said he's the one, Abraham was willing to sacrifice him and this was his thinking verse 19 Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died God was able to bring him back to life again I mean this guy had so come to be confident in who God was and that God keeps his promises if he was called to kill Isaac that God would bring him back to life again, and in a sense it says Abraham did receive his son back from the dead as a type of Christ. The seed who was soon to come. That's Abraham. That's the people of faith that God is learning to, is desiring to make us to be. Three things that I want us just to to think of as we we close. What do we learn from Abraham's life for those of us who want to make a difference in our world? And I trust that every one of us want to do that. In our work world, in our school world, in our neighborhood world, whatever our world is, whether it's that world or our city or county or somewhere across the seas, and we want to do that because we know, number one, that God uses imperfect people. So we're not scared away because it was, I can't do that. God knows you. God's not asking you to do that. Remember Abraham? He's an absolute jerk, doubting and fearful and unbelieving. God uses imperfect people. And if you don't believe that, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, I'm not going to read it, but you could jot it down because in those verses it says that is the only people God uses. (laughs) That's the people God uses is imperfect people, weak people, needy people. God uses imperfect people. Number two, knowing that faith is a process what i love about romans 1 16 and 17 it says paul says i am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god for salvation to those who believe to the jew first and also to the gentile for in the gospel excuse me i my mind just went blank for for in it is the righteousness of god to those who believe it says from faith to faith you understand what that's saying that the good news of the seed Jesus is for those who believe but it's a process it's from faith to faith it's from it's from learning because of what god puts me through today what I, the circumstances i go through today the my sins my challenges what is done to me what i do through that process god teaching me that he's faithful that i can take him at his word that he'll never let me down that the seed jesus Is the hope of mankind from faith to faith? Faith is a process, so so don't tell me I I just I just screwed up again. Yeah, you're an imperfect person, and faith is a process. It's from faith to faith to become those individuals. God refining us and transforming us into those individuals who are convinced. And this is the third thing. God uses imperfect people. Faith is a process. People who are convinced that hope is in Jesus alone. Really. With Coffee Oasis, we do all kinds of nice things for people, kids. Help them get jobs, set goals, education, transportation. We do all kinds of things. But, you know, we could do all all those things. A lot of nice things and good things and, and important things. But, you know, the only one that's going to really change a broken life is Jesus. Is Jesus. Because Jesus is the righteousness of God. And if we want to be righteous, it's because we understand that Jesus is the one who bridges and brings us back into relationship with God and hope and peace and joy and so it's people that are becoming convinced as God refines and transforms this in process. We're, we're, we're people of faith convinced that Jesus is the answer. And so we're excited to share Jesus with us. That's why it's so hard for me, like yesterday and a couple days before that, to, you know, when, when I hear that people say, well, you know, this band that wouldn't play because we're a faith-based ministry. Man, that's hard because in my, it, it grieves me and, and it just makes me, I want those people to know the real Jesus. <laughs> it's not someone to be turned off by. It's not someone to say, oh, all the negative impressions that people have gotten about Jesus or Christianity, I want them to know the real Jesus, the one who can change them and transform them and heal and deliver them. And that's the opportunity we have as God's people. If we understand that it's not because we're special, we're imperfect, but it's allowing God to change us and transform us and make us, like Abraham, a person of faith who will represent Jesus, the hope to other people. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you would just afresh to each one of us uh, give us a hunger to get in your word open our eyes in a fresh way to see Jesus it's so simple and yet Father we get so distracted uh, and we forget that everything, our hope, our life, our peace it's Jesus and I pray that you would afresh open our eyes and our ears to see that and And to be compelled and drawn to want to know him better. Changed by him to represent him in a world that really needs him desperately. In his name I pray. Amen.